We are so excited that you are here to listen to the Script Tape Podcast. Go ahead. Make my day. We want to help you develop your idea into a great screenplay. And who knows? Maybe you'll write the next big blockbuster. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Well, there's always a chance, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Are you ready to learn about screenwriting? All right, then. Let's get started. Enjoy. Welcome to this week's episode of the Script Cake Podcast. This week, I am honored and excited to have a dear friend of mine uh, on this podcast. He's actually helped produce the movie I most recently directed called Seclusion. And he has a new movie that is tearing it up right now that he was a the writer for as well as a producer on called Cyst. It's almost like an instant classic, if that's not an oxymoron, but um, it is uh, so much fun. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, he's also an associate producer on uh, movie Texas Cotton that he's got a story by credit on, and he has a bunch of new projects that are just amazing that I can't wait to get into. Welcome to the podcast, Andy Silver. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty good, bud. <laughs> Andy and I actually work together on some stuff pretty often. And so uh, it's fun to be able to talk to your friends. But one of the things that I don't know that I know about you, Andy, is how'd you get started in this crazy business to begin with? Well, that is an interesting uh, question. <laughs> I wish I could say that like movies were like a love at first sight, but kind of started out movies and me were mortal enemies really <laughs> yes um i was not the type of child that wanted to sit in a room for two hours or and be quiet and, and have to put up with you know not i was a guy who kind of wanted to play all the time and play sports and games mm-hmm. and i had two brothers and a sister and um whenever the movies came on i kind of lost them all they went watched that while i was you know off by myself and um so I kind of blame the movies, um, <laughs> but I was able to like, I was very creative. So I was always able to come up with ways to entertain myself and come up with games that I would play. So then when my brothers and sister were done watching, they would come over and see what I was doing and they would want to play these games that I had invented. And um, it kind of snowballed. It, it kind of was like something I really enjoyed doing was entertaining my family mm-hmm. and people around. So I kind of, as I grew older, I, um, I kind of tried to figure out how to, you know, turn that into a career. So I, I actually started inventing games and taking them out and trying to sell them. So I would go up to Toy Fair and I, I just had um, kind of a portfolio of, of my games. Mm-hmm. And I would go up there and Toy Fair was a place in New York where all the um, big game companies would kind of bring out their new toys for the year. But there was also a convention center where like novices or, you know, people who had one game would show their games there. And you'd have agents and, you know, some producer of games walk around and take a look and they and toy stores. So a lot of people there were, were basically trying to sell their toys to toy stores. So it's, a lot, it was more, really, it's a lot like the film industry, basically. Absolutely. I mean, I, I found that out later. <laughs> So, and, um, but I would just go up and talk to people and network and, and networking is kind of my entry into almost everything. I think networking is probably the biggest success factor for me. So 
but I wound up like, you know, speaking to so many people and networking myself into um, going to these parties. And I wound up getting like game agents that like were interested in my games and I'd have, you know, I'd sit and have lunch with them or something. It was, it was just a kind of a surreal experience. It was one night I was at a party with the head of Milton Bradley's game developing and Will Schwartz, who was head of Games Magazine at the time, but now he's like the New York Times crossword puzzle editor. Mm-hmm. And we're just playing these games in a, in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> so I really felt like, you know, these were, this is where I wanted to be. Um, and at the time I had gotten a game patented. I also had like 10 other games. I was um, flown up to Milton Bradley and they were looking to hire somebody to design for them. I wound up, you know, showing all showing my games to them, and ultimately, you know, they passed on me, which is another theme in my in my life. <laughs> in all screenwriters and filmmakers' lives, no doubt about that. You got to have a thick skin. And um, so, but I, but I actually had three agents taking my games out for me at one point, mm-hmm. and then came. Then I was living in Chicago with my wife and daughter at the time. And electronic and video games came out and just killed the board game industry. Mm. My agents said they just laid off all these people at all these game companies and, you know, stopped sending me stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it was interesting because I was currently working on a game I was trying to get a patent on at the time. Uh, it was called Freeze Frame. And it was a movie game that pr- pr- kind of predated dvds i was i was showing like one clip of a movie and you would have to try to guess the movie from the clip and then you know maybe in the next round you would get a more you know an easier picture from the same movie so i was doing all this research into these movies and you know at the time you know then everything went bust so i kind of was like well i I was i didn't really know what to do and um i was in chicago and i decided that I would take a screenwriting course since I was kind of immersed in movies at the time. Uh-huh. And I did, I went to the um, Columbia college in New York, not the Ivy, but the, uh, the local Chicago university college. And I took a sitcom writing class, I think was open that year. And I wrote for the class, you had to write episodes. So I wrote a Seinfeld, a Frasier and a Caroline in the city. And, um, it was, and the professor just loved it. He said, you, you should move to LA. You know, you, you could definitely land up on a, end up on a show because you got, you know what you're doing. So that wasn't possible because my wife and daughter and I, you know, she had a really good job there in, in uh, Chicago. So he said, well, you can then, I guess you could write features or you could, you know, maybe go to, there's a lot of good improv here in, in Chicago maybe you can do that so I decided let's do this and he recommended Second City and um because they had screenwriting program too so of course I decided to do screenwriting which might not have been the best decision because at the time Tina Fey and um, uh, Amy Poehler <laughs> were, were, were in the <laughs> Yeah, might have been Another good reasonable connections right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't know how close I would have gotten to them, but it was certainly, they were there. Right. <laughs> um, 
so I, that's kind of how I got into it. A long, a long story about. It. Oh no, no, no! Yeah, it's always interesting to find out what the pathway is because it's very rare you find someone who's like, "I was twelve years old and I knew I wanted to be a screenwriter." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's uh, you go through life and you you take some turns left and right, and you try to figure some things out. And you learn about yourself, but you know, I think that you know, creating games in a way is screenwriting. It absolutely is. I mean, you have to keep the player or the watcher entertained constantly. The second they get bored, you kind of lose them. Right. And it's the same, same as two in games. I mean, if you're playing a game and there's like boring parts, it's like you just watch people's eyes glaze over. And the same as, you know, when, you know, when you're watching a movie or you just, you know, you get bored and you're, you're out. Right. So keeping somebody's attention all the time is, is key. So, okay. So you decided to get into screenwriting. Well, how do you go from screenwriting? Because again, Cyst, if you haven't seen it, it's for sale now on all these different outlets. Um, it's actually in Walmart if you can get it because it keeps selling out of Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it has the potential to become this kind of massive cult film. Let's go ahead and talk about that. I would love to know how the Cyst project came about. Okay. So uh, I would say that the one movies that I did watch when I was a kid were my parents used to let us stay up late on Fridays to watch a movie. And there was this like a show called, I don't, I don't know the show. Maybe it was like horror theater or something. And there was this host called doc shock who used to like be the, he'd introduce the movies and there were all these B movie, B horror movies that, um, that were kind of funny. And he would, you know, between commercials, he would, put on little, you know, he would camp it up pretty much. Um, so those, that was the type of movie that I did watch when I was, when I was growing up, basically because I wanted to stay up late. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like an Elvira kind of person. Yes, exactly. Okay. He was, I think he was pre Elvira, but um, <laughs> um, so, so, well, let me go back and start how I kind of met the filmmakers for for cyst and how we kind of got together so one of the pitch fests i went to i had um i met a guy who really loved one of my pitches and it was like a a romantic comedy called from a to zoe it was about a a guy who makes a bet that he can sleep his way through the alphabet but then he meets and falls in love with a woman named zoe and now he's got problems (laughs) because he's got to be with 25 women before he can get to her So I had a, a producer jumped on it and helped me, you know, get it to a lot of different studios. And, and ultimately it was passed on, but I had submitted it to the Austin um, screenwriting conference and it made the next round. When you go to Austin and you, and you make the next round, they put your um, a tag with your screenplay, the title of your screenplay on it. And I happened to be waiting for a panel at a seminar at one of the, at, at, uh, I think on the first day, and the guy was standing in line next to me and asked me about, so what's this from A to Zoe about? So I told him and he said, that sounds really good. Can you send it to me? And I did. And he, he said, you know, this is really great because I don't think I can do it, but do you have anything else, you know, smaller that you might want to do with me? Because I think you're a really good writer. And I said, well, I have an idea called, um, worst uber driver ever and he said <laughs> he said okay can you send me like six like five minute episodes and uh 
and um, you know, let's see if we can get it done. So I did. And he said, OK, these are good. Let's shoot it. So we raised the money and it wasn't a lot, but um, we wound up shooting is wound up being called Buckle Up and it's on um, it's on Amazon Prime now. And uh, it did. You know, it was it was fun. And the shoot was a weekend shoot down in Austin where I met all these different people on set, you know, producers, DP. And, you know, I got to be really good friends with everybody because, again, it's, it's another form of networking. Now you're in a in a three, two day shoot with a group of people and you're basically in another war. So <laughs> when you're done, you know, you have, you know, a lot to talk about. And they were working on another project afterwards uh, called Texas Cut. And they wanted me to read it because, you know, they, they thought I could give new good notes. So I did. And I, I really enjoyed it. And they asked if I wanted to come down and be a part of the um, shoot. Of course, I, I did. I jumped into it. Um, we wound up doing a short 10 minute proof of concept, which was crazy, crazy weekend unto itself. <laughs> And then um, from there, we wound up selling the feature. And I got to help with that. That was like a 20-day shoot down in San Antonio where I was did everything pretty much. And and, um, and you have a story by credit on there, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I helped. I, I, there are a lot of stuff I did on the set um, and, and helped the story a lot. The credits, uh, you know, it's a... We had two writers and then uh, Tyler, Tyler Russell, who's the other producer and the guy that I worked with on um, Buckle Up and the one who I worked with, with Sist, mm -hmm. um, Tyler Russell. And then um, we had, a, you know, a really great 20 day shoot. It was it was really it was probably the highlight of my life, this whole that 20 day shoot. It was just so much fun hanging out with, you know. Gene Jones and and George Hardy and a lot of you know it was really my first plunge into what a feature is you know what a, what working on a set is so on the set of Texas Cotton I really got to be close friends with George Hardy and George Hardy is he was known for being the father in Troll Two which was considered the worst one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> so. He's like a like a cult classic kind of actor guy, right? He is, and he's a dentist. He's like a, he's a practicing dentist who lives and works in Alabama, and occasionally does movies. <laughs> so, right. but he's so connected. He's such a great guy, and he he was over. I think he was he got hired to do to work in a a German film that was kind of a spinoff on Troll Two called Troll's World, and he met a producer over there who was working on it, who he worked on a film on the trolls world, but it was filmed over in Germany. Well, they, the German company Phantom Films wanted to come over and uh, dub the film in English. And they used Tyler and, and me to like, you know, work on that and do some ADR and, and redo the whole thing. So while we, while they were here, Tyler had this idea of, of this, um, just assist, <laughs> assist, assist going berserk in a dentist, in an office. <laughs> we pitched the idea, we pitched the idea to them and they were like, well, yeah, okay, well, why don't you write a script and, you know, see, 
and then we'll see if we want to, you know, be, get involved. Mm -hmm. So Tyler and I kind of sat down and we, <laughs> we sat down and just kind of fleshed out this whole story of, you know, we wanted to, to set it in the sixties. And like I said earlier, like that was the, those B movies that I watched in the sixties kind of, this is what this project kind of reminded me of. So we created this story about, you know, a dermatologist in the sixties, who's using laser technology for the first time. And he's trying to get a patent on this machine and things go horribly wrong. And it turns this cyst into a monster, which terrorizes the office. <laughs> and it's, it was, <laughs> it was a crazy, crazy shoot. Um, but I mean, this, the company from the Phantom Films, they loved it. They said, okay, let's, let's do it. That's awesome. So we wound up shooting it in Baltimore in 2019 in like horrible conditions. We had like, it was like a abandoned warehouse with no heat, no hot water, no bathrooms. <laughs> I said the shoot was more of a horror movie than the actual movie. <laughs> that often is the case with uh, independent films, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And then um, I guess you heard about me then. <laughs> and you I did hear about we, you. We live, we kind of have a mutual friend who I met networking actually in Philadelphia. So another, another piece of the networking puzzle and he inter introduced us and we kind of, decided we wanted to work together, see right. how it worked out. Yeah. And uh, you kind of know what happened from there. <laughs> we well, had... I know, but nobody else <laughs> tell them what happened there. Cause yeah, tell me, tell me what happened. Give me your perspective on it. So, yeah. So there's this local guy comes up to me and says, <laughs> and we meet and like, we talked about a project that um, uh, we, we got a script for and we kind of, we're going out and trying to figure out finding locations and um and this is during the pandemic mind you so yeah had a lot to do with kind of the evolution of this process because filming during the pandemic was a whole different story than filming during non-pandemic times right so we wound up finding a script that we could do during the pandemic or at least we thought we could do mm -hmm. and um we wound up getting a place up in the Poconos. Um, so the film's called Seclusion, and it's we're, we shot it in May up in the big house in the Poconos where we were able to all stay together. We'd all just gotten vaccinated because vaccines were just coming out. So yeah. everyone had to be vaccinated. Everyone had to stay in the house. I think I was the only one allowed to leave and get things and bring it back in. So we slept there. We shot there. We ate there. And um, it was a you know a really great experience especially you know it was kind of the first time i think a lot of us were around other people during the pandemic it was That's true i think it'd been a year year and a half since you know we'd actually gone out and talked to people that weren't living in our houses yeah so it was you know i think we had a successful shoot we, we shot for like nine days then we came down and shot outside in um, a local bridgeport local town and then we went back and did some pickups back up in the poconos and um i think it was a total of 14 or 15 days yeah something like that yeah. yeah and yeah we were able to do it on a on a decent budget we were able to stay under budget um mainly because i think there are ways to like cut your costs as an independent 
and actually going out to the supermarket and buying food and cooking it for everyone. Right. <laughs> I think someone's getting a, a <laughs> chef credit on the film as well as a producing credit, aren't you? <laughs> so yes, I, I don't know if I, that chef is is something that goes on IMDb credit list, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> catering catering credit. But um, yeah. also, it helped that we paid one fee for location and for housing. Yeah. You know, the fact, I mean, this is a massive, like beautiful 9,000 square foot home that we shot in, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, can probably accommodate about 20 people to live there like comfortably. Yeah. And uh, it had a movie theater, like a big movie theater in it. So we could see our dailies there. We used it a few times and, uh, um, I thought it worked out pretty well. We're so excited to get this movie out and we are actually today, we're actually going to hear the score on the film uh for the first time so we're excited to see how that goes in the sound mix that's the first time that uh, we get to listen to all that so uh keep a lookout for seclusion uh we'll probably start submitting it to festival soon and uh we've actually already had a few conversations with some distribution companies so we'll see how that goes we'll keep you posted so all right so um while all this is going on i know you're constantly writing so uh, what do you have going on now? Yeah, so uh, since when the pandemic shut everything down, I kind of went in and just was able to kind of go into my own little worlds and just write constantly. I, I wrote three other features that, the one I feel was like a, will be a good follow-up to Cyst. It's kind of the same audience, same kind of crazy horror comedy. I mean, basically, the idea is I wanted to do to the Thanksgiving dinner what Jaws did to the ocean. So, <laughs> how did that come about? What was it? What was the impetus for that? I, <laughs> I saw, sometimes I wonder where I do come up with these ideas, but I just would be the person who was involved with cutting the turkey. Uh, and kind of staring at this big turkey, <laughs> like this daunting, and then, you know, cutting it apart, I just like thought, well, what if like something came out of the cavity of the turkey and was just mad, <laughs> angry at me <laughs> because I'm cutting the turkey? <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how this whole crazy screenplay came about. And, you know, there aren't very many thanksgiving horror films <laughs> so it's are good. there any thanksgiving horror films <laughs> well there there hopefully there will be all right um, so um you know what so that was one of them i've had the pleasure of reading it and it's so much more than a horror film you know, <laughs> um, i got to give you a lot of credit in your writing there's a there's a level of depth that you don't see in maybe this genre very often and I'm excited to see um, not only this movie, but some additional ones that you've written come out. Yeah, thanks. Um, I do. And then another one that kind of, I'm trying to veer away, I think, from just horror comedy. So while we were going up to shoot seclusion up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, I don't, I was in, I was, we were with David Greenberg, the other producer and I was in the back seat. And David, who's connected us, he's the one that introduced us to each other. Yes. So I was just looking about the, you know, what go, what's going on in this area. And somehow I came across this um, cryptid 
called the squonk <laughs> that lives in the mountains of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you know, cryptids like, you know, the Jersey devil or a Sasquatch or, you know, they're legendary imagine, you know, real or imagined creatures that have never been proven to exist. So I read about this, this, our Pennsylvania's cryptid called the squonk. And it's this real sad creature that is so ugly that it all, it spends all day crying. And like it, if you come near it, it can dissolve into a puddle of tears. And um, I thought, wow, what a, what a great, interesting character. And I kind of came up with a story based on just that, that kind of just triggered something in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I wrote a, a, a screenplay about a woman who's marred, you know, her, she's disfigured as a child and she, all she wants to do is fit in, but she thinks because she's, you know, unattractive that she'll never be accepted. And then she stumbles on the legend of the squonk. She finds out that if you, you're able to touch the squonk, it'll make you beautiful. So she spends her life trying to, you know, become lure this thing out so she can touch it. And of course, there's a exotic game hunter in town that finds out that she's got the ability to lure this out. So it becomes, you know, there's the, the antagonist who kind of gets in her way. Mm-hmm. So I actually put together a sizzle site for this, which is on my website. Um, and it's kind of explains the story. Uh, your website again. It's a uh, batty ink productions.com. That's my, uh, my website. Can you spell that? B-A-T-T-Y-I-N-K. Okay. Dot Productions. Oh, productions.com. All right. Thank you. And, um, you know, most of the, almost all my things are up there. Um, you can see all the things I've worked on and links to it, to everything. Um, assist trailers up there. And then we were also talking about another project we were also talking about was um, we wanted to shoot another feature in a house in another big house so you supplied the house and you told me you know i want you to write something about this house so so i did (laughs) and uh, i think it's a pretty good low lower budget uh feature that uh, hopefully we'll be shooting later this in the fall when it's off season down in the outer banks um and I'm um, kind of looking forward to to that as well. That's a fun. I think that now that we have, you know, shot one feature in a massive vacation home, I think we're just going to keep doing that and traveling to all these great locations around the world and <laughs> shooting in nice vacation places. I think Sounds that's good. a good plan to have. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> and it also seems, you know, shooting an indie film still during the pandemic, I think these are, like some of the easier things, easier ways to be safe, you know, mm-hmm. having everybody kind of in the same area and, you know, together where you're not going out nights and, you know, meeting other people. It's just, I feel right now it's kind of the best way to shoot films as an indie producer. Yeah, we went through the gamut, you know, dealing with like SAG's COVID policies and trying to figure out what we could do and we couldn't do. And I know on one of the projects that we talked about, which ended up not being filmed, but hopefully will be in the future, um, the cost of meeting 
all the SAG requirements. This was, you know, at the top of the pandemic, probably about a year, a year ago or something like that, year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, it was going to cost more than the actual budget of the film <laughs> that we had. And it was crazy. And we were just like, I understand safety and protocol, but, you know, we just can't make this work. Yeah. So um, we were able to figure it out and make it work. And uh, uh, again, excited for you guys to see seclusion when it comes out. Hopefully uh, in the not too distant future, we're still dotting some I's and crossing some T's on that project. But um, one of the things that you do also is you do work as a kind of a screener for different festivals. And uh, I wanted to get a take on you because you see a lot of stuff that comes through. Do you also read scripts or do you just focus on watching movies? I do read scripts, not really for, for contests, but I I'm in writers groups and a lot, I read a lot of scripts. Um, So one of the things that you and I've talked about in the past are just kind of, you know, levels of screenwriting, Mm -hmm. you know, you have a novice level where someone's still trying to figure out, you know, how do you write a proper slug line and what do you put description and, you know, what are the technical aspects of writing going on? And then you kind of have the next level up where people kind of master that. And then they start writing, you know, everything properly, but it's still kind of bare bones. There's not a lot of meat on those bones. And then they eventually evolve to the next level where they're like, okay, I can use these descriptions instead of just saying this person looks that way. I can actually add some visual depth to this movie, uh, to this scene and add some emotion through the location that I'm shooting at and, you know, what the characters are doing to reveal information about them and whatnot. What are uh, kind of the most common things that you see in scripts that just kind of hold them back? Because, I mean, a lot of scripts have great ideas, but if they're not executed well, it's really hard to get into it. Yeah, for me, like I, my reading, like, so I kind of want to know as soon as possible, what I'm reading, like, what is this about? What is, are you, am I just meeting characters? Do I know why am I meeting these characters? I kind of want to know what the story is about as soon as you can. You get me in and now I know what I'm rooting for, what I'm hoping for. Um, I mean, it's great. Like a lot of people spend a lot of time just introducing characters in situations that don't really they're stagnant they're not it's just like there's a lot of exposition same same in film i mean when i'm watching films i i find the same thing it's like well what am i watching what's what's happening what am i is this who am i following a lot of times it's not clear who the main character is so i think that's kind of something you want to do to get people interested right away it's like okay can you give me an example of some a film that does it successfully where right off the bat, you know exactly, you know, what you're in for and what's going on. It meets that criteria for you. So there's this TV show called Blind Spot that the first two minutes, like just dropped us into this world of like, there was, there was like, it was in Times Square, New York City. There was, they were, there was like a bag there that people thought was a bomb. And, you know, police came in, FBI, everyone was like, you didn't know what it was. And then suddenly, like, this woman climbs out of this bag, the bag that, you know, we weren't sure what it was. And she's got all these tattoos on her back and we're all over her body. And 
it just took, and then one of the tattoos was the name of the investigating officer. So it was just like, bam, there I am. Right. This is going to be, this is going to be a ride. Cause right. you know, you got all these, ta- you, you kind of see there's so many tattoos. There's probably going to be a story about every one of them. Yeah. Why is, why is this happening? Why is, yeah. yeah just so Mystery. things like that, that can just grip you. It's grabbing. And, uh, yeah. You and I recently both read a, a screenplay, and I think we both got about 20 pages in and had a conversation. And uh, we didn't even know who the protagonist was. <laughs> and we weren't even sure, like, you know, a couple of interesting things happened, but we're like, okay, where does this go? And what's going on? And it, it, you don't even want to read anymore. And um, that's one of the things that I think is imperative. Um, so many books and, and screenwriting gurus and, and producers and production companies will always say, we'll read five or 10 pages. And it's exactly what you're saying at five or 10 pages. If I don't know what I'm going on and I'm not being entertained and I'm not going on a ride, I'm out. Cause I got 50,000 more scripts to read. Yeah. I mean, you have to realize that people are coming in with no knowledge of what you're trying to say. And they might not even, you know, and sometimes the title doesn't help, you know? So it's like, what would you say to somebody who had no clue what your, what your screenplay is about? How would you let them know that as soon as you can? To me, that's kind of at least hint at it. I mean, I know we can, there's like a lot of theories and, you know, inciting incidents, you know, happen at certain pages. But to me, as soon as you can do it in, in a way that you, we understand who the character that we want to follow is and why this event that turned their life upside down is interesting and relevant yeah yeah i i kind of look at it as you know i think you need to punch the audience in the face right from the get-go to let them know that we're in it yeah like bam because you know a lot of times when people are watching stuff they're maybe not completely connected they're not interested they're on their phone they're busy they're tired they have a million things going on but if you can grab them right from the get-go um i think that changes everything not only you know, for the script, but, you know, when the film is shot or when the TV show is made, it just grabs you by the neck and says, let's go. And it doesn't even have to be an action movie. That can happen in a drama and a comedy and a horror movie, definitely in a horror movie and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And for me personally, like reading the first page, I don't really want to be world in Like, I didn't really want to read a lot of description of where of the of this the background like where we are what the person is doing like details of somebody waking up or i just want to you know i i just skim through that because it's like okay I don't, it's not really relevant you know it might might be but you know it shouldn't be <laughs> i mean if you're going to introduce it that soon you should really just be acclimating your reader to you know your main character and you know getting getting us uh, interested what would you say to a young screenwriter or someone young in their career about progressing and getting to the point where, you know what, you're blessed. People will read your scripts. I know you were Mm -hmm. just in Los Angeles and you just took a round of meetings and you had a bunch of people request scripts. Um, How do we get to that point? I mean, so as a screenwriter in the beginning, like, don't take rejections personally, like, you know, don't, don't let them discourage you. 
I mean, I, I think like, you know, if I look back at my life and I see that I was, you know, I tried to sell games. I got rejections. I tried to interview at Milton Bradley. I got rejection. I wrote a comic strip that I had just tried to get syndicated. I got rejections. I think like I got the EGOT of ejections, rejections. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it in every industry. <laughs> just need a Broadway play that gets rejected and you'll, you'll complete it. <laughs> oh, I think I have one of those too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, I mean, because every rejection kind of, you know, pushes you, I mean, it sh to me, it encourages me. It's like, okay, like, you know, what didn't they like? If somebody's willing to say why they didn't like it and be honest, you know, it, everything's, it's a learning experience. I mean, in your first, you're not going to jump in right away and write the greatest screenplay in the world. You're going to have to learn what works, what doesn't work, why people are, you know, losing interest in your script. And, um, same thing with film. Uh, so I feel like just harden yourself. I mean, it's, you know, I just have all my rejection letters <laughs> together in a box in the attic. Might have to get a new place, but, um, <laughs> but eventually, you know, like I said before, with the networking and with the right, continuing the writing, sometimes one of these tumblers will just click into place and you won't be rejected. And, you know, you'll move on and you'll have movies out there. I mean, if you look at the making of Cysts, it was you, you know, A, having to work on your writing, B, going to the Austin Film Festival. And actually, I'm sorry, B, going to the pitch competition in L.A. Yeah. and then going to the Austin Film Festival and then the person asking you about it and then saying, oh, I really like that, you know, and then you made the first film and then you met the actor on that film. And that actor happened to be connected to these people in Germany who needed some ADR work, which you got connected to, which eventually resulted in a pitch, which eventually resulted in you talking or typing out the screenplay and getting it greenlit. I mean, that's like 13 or 14 steps. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't happen right off the bat. And, yeah. you know, I could probably say the same thing about me. Um, you know, getting my first project off the ground and the rejections that I went through. And, you know, I struggle with it at first. You know, the first time I got a hard rejection, I didn't write for six months. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I wasn't good at this. So why am I wasting my time? And, you know, looking back on it, it was my ego. My ego was hurt. And so I wasted six months of my life in terms of screenwriting career because I didn't work. But eventually I couldn't take it and I started writing again. And uh, it got to the point where, you know, I once had somebody um, eviscerate one of my scripts. And this is, I think, my third or fourth script. And this is the script that got me an agent in L.A. And it's a script that got made. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this is before, you know, it was after I got an agent with it and before it got made in that middle ground, someone wanted to read it. And she absolutely just tore it to shreds. Mm -hmm. And the first sentence was just vicious. And it was the nicest of the sentences for this entire thing. <laughs> I mean, just brutal. I think it went on for like two pages of, you know, you're evil and this sucks. And I can't believe that you got an agent with this and on and on and on. And I saw her later on that day. And we started, you know, I just walked up to her and started talking to her. And she was like, didn't you, didn't you get my note? 
because she left a note. She didn't even like send it to me. She like wrote it up and left it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I appreciate the feedback. So what's going on? And she was blown away because in some ways, I think that note was meant to hurt me. Mm-hmm. But I was far enough along in my career that you can't hurt me. Like, I'm sorry that you don't like it, but it's really well written. And I know that. And I think that's a plateau as a writer you have to get to in terms of dealing with rejection. You know, like even now when you get rejected or I get rejected, it's not because it's not well written. It's because they may or may not, you know, enjoy the journey or enjoy the concept or enjoy some particular aspect of it, or it may not fit with what that prediction or particular company is doing. Mm -hmm. And um, at a certain point, it's not because the writing is bad. And once you get that kind of confidence, you know, um, it's almost like a shield. It almost makes you bulletproof. And it makes it a lot easier to get these constant rejections because it's always one of a million things. The budget's too high. Oh, we're focusing more on this type of film. You know, I've had people reach up to me. Do you have anything with, you know, airplane accidents? I know a production company who's looking to make an airplane, you know, wreck movie. like, that's kind of specific, <laughs> you know, but that's exactly how the industry is. That's what these companies do. Uh, they're looking for very specific niche items. And if you have them, great, you know, and if you don't, sometimes you're going to get a rejection and, you know, um, again, and you have to build up to it. You're not going to have it on your first script. I surely didn't. Mm-hmm. But now I'm at that point where, yeah, I know it's well written, you know, whether you like it or not. And, uh, that that has gone a long way to make it a lot easier for me. How about for you? Because I mean, you know, your stuff is good, right? Yeah, but it's. I mean, it, I feel like it's. You know, you're wearing a Kevlar vest, and you get hit with bullets. It still hurts a little bit. <laughs> it, it doesn't kill you, but, but I. I mean, I had a script that I I used the blacklist. I don't know that service that you know they'll they'll rate yeah. scripts, and right. if you get a certain level, they'll you know they'll pass them on to or you just get notoriety. So I had one script that got an eight, which is like very high. Fantastic. That's amazing on the blacklist. Yeah. And you, and I got like a rewrite, I got another read because of it. And then that read gave, gave me a three, same oh. script. <laughs> 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 and then, and they, they also give notes and they, they'll give reasons why. And like, even the three, like, you know, I, I couldn't understand. It's like, you, you gave me a three, but your review seems like it's in the sixes and sevens. It's like, right. I don't understand. And then I've, and then at the end it said, well, I just didn't like the way that it turned, you know, I wasn't hope I was hoping that it was a different type of movie. So it was, you know, it was somebody else bringing baggage to the read right. that like, I, I was hoping for a different ending. Well, I didn't want to, that was my ending. <laughs> it's like, it's fine. If if you could, if at least it it brought out that type of emotion in somebody, you would think it would get more than a three. But a lot of people do bring their own baggage to it. I remember uh, this little tiny little film came out about twenty five years ago called Titanic. Have you ever heard of that one? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I think so. laughs> and so I remember the first time I saw it, and it ended. No one left the theater. And it wasn't because there was an Easter egg at the end, like a Marvel movie. It was because 
Like everyone just went on this crazy emotional journey and they needed a few minutes to kind of put themselves back together. You know, it was a very impactful film. And um, one of my best friends hated it. Hated it. And, you know, it went on to become at that time the highest grossing movie of all time. It won Best Picture and Best Director and just did everything a movie could possibly do and more. And it just dawned on me, wow, I met someone else that couldn't stand it. Uh, one of my uh, faculties would always complain, why is there no oil in the water? Why is the water so clean inside the ship? You know, like <laughs> little technical things. And they hated it. That's stuff that if you put in a screenplay, you'd be like, why is somebody saying, why is it oil in the water? Right, yeah. So uh, it just dawned on me, if people can hate Titanic, <laughs> probably a lot of people are going to hate what I do. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, there's no film that is universally loved. No, and take Cyst, for instance. You should see you should see the review. It's yeah. Funny. This film is not for everyone. Like some <laughs> of the reviews are glowing and others are like, this is the worst. You know, it's just, I enjoy reading, re reading the reviews, even the bad ones, because I, <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a, you know, campy, crazy, over the top B movie that if you don't get that that's what it is, then it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's on you. There's an audience for it. Yeah. And if you're not in that audience, you're probably not going to go for that ride. Right. You know, and you can see in the trailer whether you're going to like this movie or not. I mean, it's just right. a, well. Where can we see the trailer? Where is it available? The trailer's on YouTube. It's also I have it on my website again at uh, Betty Inc. Productions. Um, okay. So, but it, it it's available. You know, pretty much if you Google cis movie, and the the 2022 trailer is the uh, the actual distribution company trailer that they okay. put out yeah that movie is blowing up i just saw the japanese poster for it that looks so cool <laughs> <laughs> and today they're launching get this a uh cyst vhs release with hot sauce with cyst hot sauce that they're cyst. packaging <laughs> i'm sorry hot. cyst hot sauce yes like you know stuff you put on <laughs> like chicken wings <laughs> So somebody thinks this movie's got some marketing potential. All right. So you can buy the movie on, and you said VHS, right? Yes. This is like a company that, that um, kind of a retro film company. It's like Tales from the Crypt. So that's, that's a company that like puts together, you know, that the kind of caters to horror fans that have, they kind of want the packaging for the VHS, whether yeah. people are still using those machines or not. It's yeah, not so like the collector's edition version kind of thing of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if you love over-the-top B-horror movies, you got to check out Cyst. And if you still have a VHS player and you like hot sauce, <laughs> <laughs> you got to get that version of it as well. Well, Andy, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I've known you so well for, for a while now, and I learned a lot of things about you that I didn't know. So I uh, really enjoyed the talk. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm happy to have you again. Uh, Andy's website is uh, baddieinkproductions.com. And uh, you can also find this as trailer on YouTube.
look for the 2022 version of the Sis trailer to get a really good idea of it. I can't wait to see what this movie does for you. And I'm really excited about the stuff you have coming in the future. Thanks. All looking right. Forward to work with you more. Yep. I'm looking forward to it as well, buddy. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Script Cake Podcast. If you have any questions on screenwriting, please feel free to reach out to us at info at scriptcake.com. Also, please like our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, check out our website, scriptcake.com. Until next time.